Let us go to the word of God in the book of Isaiah chapter 62. And we're going to look at verse 10. Isaiah, the second chapter in verse 10. The Bible says, go through, go through the gates, prepare ye the way of the people, cast up, cast up the highway, gather out the stones and lift up a standard for the people. You know, the spirit of prophecy says that the greatest want of this world is the want of men. Men who cannot be bought or sold, men who in their inmost souls are true and honest, men who do not fear to call sin by his right name, men whose conscience is as true to duty as a needle to the pole, men who would stand for the right, though the heavens fall. That is very rare in this age. You know, with everything changing in society, folk and organizations and groups that you would think would stand on the moral principles of God and the moral principles that have made this nation, the United States, a great nation, they're bending towards the left. And brothers and sisters, so goes the world, so goes the church. And the very principles that we hold dear as seven-day Adventists are being attacked, are being underlined, um, undermined, and being, how should I say this right here, um, un, uh, uh, undermined, and, and whatever negative connotation you, you, can, you can put. But in short, what we're seeing right now is a thing called leaping what? Leaping compromise. Does that sound familiar? All right. We'll tell you. I'm pretty sure you know what we're talking about. You see this man leaping? I don't know how high he's leaping. But this leaping man right here is symbolic of the compromise that's going on in the church of the living God. The Bible makes it very plain that we should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And brothers and sisters, we're seeing a compromise to where we're living right now in the greatest crisis in the history of seven-day Adventism. We really are living in that. We as seven-day Adventists believe that God has called this church through the prophetic word to be the remnant in these last days. He's given us the word of God. He's given us the spirit of prophecy to highlight the principles that has made us what we are. But this crisis, brothers and sisters, is an apostasy prophesied by Ellen White called the Omega of Apostasy. And one thing I want you to remember, that a journey to compromise begins with a single what somebody. Let me say that one more time. A journey to apostasy, excuse me, begins with a single what? Compromise. Very important. Very important. See, once one pillar is removed, the whole building can fall. It reminds me of a time in Israel. There was a wedding in Israel back in the late 1990s. And while they were having their reception on the third floor, while the people were dancing and having their festivities, all of a sudden, the, uh, the floor just opened up and people fell down three stories down to the bottom. And what happened was is that the reason why the the, uh, the the place failed was because that when they were building the building, the builders knew that they were supposed to put a pillar in the right places. But in order to save money, they said, we're not going to put a pillar there. And that happened to be the very place where the thing caved in. Brothers and sisters, God has given us biblical pillars as the foundations of our faith. And if any one of those pillars are removed, we're going to have some problems. So we can't compromise, but the compromise has come. Ellen White talked about it as an iceberg. As a what, somebody? An iceberg where we had to meet it. We had to meet it head on. Now, what we want to do is this. Before we do that, let me have a word of prayer. Even though we've had prayer, let me just pray one more time. Father in heaven, may you anoint this hour and bless us to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 13 about the whole world wandering after the beast. We understand that pretty soon the United States government will enforce a Sunday law. And right now we see this right here with the protection of a work-free Sunday by the, by the um, European Sunday Alliance, where we have the churches, civil society, but also the what, somebody? Trade unions. And didn't God tell us that the trade unions will have a part to play in this? God already told us. So we're seeing this. And not just that, we're seeing people playing with the calendar to where the calendar has been altered to make Monday the first day of the week, which makes Sunday the seventh day. So therefore, we're seeing an altering of the very things that God has made. They're trying to alter marriage, but they've done tamper with the calendar. Have mercy. 
So what happens is this right here. The devil is setting this thing up. European Sunday Alliance. Notice this right here. Um, National Back to Church Sunday. Every September of every year, we see, we are seeing the beginning of the fulfillment of the prophecies prophesied in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. Not just that. But the question is, will the real seven-day Adventist please what? Stand up. It's time for us to stand. So if the subtitle of this whole series is, will this real seven-day Adventist please stand up? Because let me tell you, we're told in Testimonies, Volume 5, that the time is not far distant when the test will come upon every soul. And then she says, the mark of the beast will be urged upon us, and those who have been compromising step by step, she says, will yield to the powers that be. That's why this message, this seminar is so important when we talk about leaping compromise, brothers and sisters, an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. Am I right, somebody? If we can prevent this stuff from escalating, we can do that's better than curing the whole problem. Because let me tell you this right here. Um, we're living in a day when God wants us to lift up the standard and the standard will be lifted up again. Sad to say, we're told that the majority will be sifted out. God will have a remnant that will stand faithful all the way until the end. Now, what we want to do when we talk about this We'll talk about where God has brought us from as a people. Now, what we must understand in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 2, God says, I am the Lord thy who, somebody? God, which have brought thee out of the land of where? And out of the house of bondage. Now, notice this right here. Egypt is symbolic of the world. Can we agree with this right here? And the children of Israel were in bondage for many years in Egypt, but God brought them out by a strong hand. Am I right? And then he gave them the law on Mount Sinai. So we must understand is that before God gives us the law, he has to deliver us first. Am I right? Through Jesus, where receiving Christ as our personal savior, he delivers us from bondage. Then he gives us his law and his precepts to do them so that we can be and shall be a peculiar people. Now, God brought the seven day Adventist church out of the out of the world, per se, out of Babylon so that they may keep his Sabbath in order to proclaim the third angel's message to the world. Can we agree with that, brothers and sisters? And when God has brought us out of Babylon, it is very important that we don't go back into Babylon. Am I right, somebody? So therefore, God, in order to preserve his children from going back into Egyptian worldly Babylonian bondage, plainly said, after the doings of the land of where? Wherein ye dwelt. Shall ye not what? So in other words, what the worldly, the worldly folk do, we're not supposed to do as a church. Am I right, somebody? He has called us to be a peculiar people. He says, I'll make you the head and not the tail. And it says, and after the doings of the land of where? Canaan, whether I bring you to, shall ye not do, neither shall ye walk in there with somebody? Ordinances. So in other words, God wants his children to be separate from the world. In other words, don't go back where you came from. Am I right, somebody? And number two, don't adopt the ways of the world that's around you. Can we agree with that? And God gave us the Bible. He gave us the spirit of prophecy in order to preserve us from compromising. But guess what? Those standards have been eroded and we have some problems. And only the shaking, I'll be honest with you, the only cure for this thing is the shaking. Am I right, somebody? Now notice this right here. There's a tragic duplicity going on in God's church. Here we have the what? The church that through the Bible and spirit of prophecy are founded on what kind of values? Christian values. And let me ask you this right here. Are these Christian values absolute or are they relative? In other words, they never change. Am I right? The same way it was back then, it should be the same way it is today. Some things never change. Am I right, somebody? Or there's some things that should not change. The Bible says heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word. Am I right? Did Jesus say that? My word should not pass away. Now, God has called us as a church, but we live in a sinful what? We live in a sinful what? Society that has what kind of values? Cultural values. And don't we hear that word all the time, culture being used? Culture. We got to adapt to the culture. Now, watch this right here. Now, cultural values are relative. They change from time to time. Am I right, somebody? Now, what happens is this right here. Can we agree that a lot, if not most, of cultural values today are sinful and should be shunned by Christians? 
Am I right, somebody? Of course, we're not talking about cultural expression. When I go to certain countries, they have a different flavor to their culture. We're not talking about that. But cultural mores and values, let's talk about the culture we're in in the United States. The culture says now that uh, same-sex marriage is just as legal and valid as traditional marriage. Am I right, somebody? Is that a cultural value that we should avoid? But guess what? Churches right now are bending, am I right, to fit their theology in order to embrace this. And we know there's going to be big problems with that. But notice this right here. God has cut us out, as the prophet says, by the mighty cleaver of truth in order to keep us separate from the world. Can we agree with that? But the moment cultural values are adopted into the church, guess what happens to the Christian values? Do they become better? Did it become better to reach those who don't know the Lord? Oh, no. Look at this right here. The cultural value, the Christian values change. Now, for those who missed it, let me go back. Okay. Look at that. Bam. Look at that. The Christian values become cultural, but not just cultural. Boy, let me tell you something. We as Adventists know how to spiritualize everything. Are you with me? And put a halo around it. All you got to do is say Jesus, and therefore you think Christian rock is okay. All you got to say is Jesus and you think hip hop is okay. All you got to say is that it's the culture and people will go along with it because guess what, brothers and sisters, the way to hell is a broad road and many are going to go that way because the way to heaven is a straight and narrow road. And didn't Jesus say few there be that what? How come they couldn't find, how come they found it? Because the scripture says seek and ye. That means only a few are going to really want to seek the narrow way. Am I right? Now, watch this right here. So, we have a problem. Now, God brought his children out of pharaohcentrism, which was centered in what? Man. Why did God have to bring his children out from the world? The same way he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. But what happened was God told the children of Israel, told Moses to tell Pharaoh to let my people go that they may serve me because they couldn't serve God in Egypt. Am I right, somebody? In other words, we can't serve God and be in the world at the same time. We got to come out and be separate. Am I right? But notice this right here. So he brought him out of a system centered by Pharaoh, which was centered in man, which led to what kind of living? Humanistic living. Now, what happened was God brought them out to have them centered in Yahweh or in him, in Christ, which is centered in whose word, somebody? God's word, which leads to what kind of living? Prophetic. So we as born again Christians, especially of us as seven day Adventists, are to live prophetically. Am I right, somebody? Amen. As we adopt the righteousness of Jesus Christ manifested in a life of obedience to the commandments of God, we're living prophetically and not humanistically. And that's why it's very important that we understand this right here. And what happens is we're dealing with racism in the church. Am I right, somebody? Am I right? You know, color shouldn't be no issue in the church. But there are those who are Eurocentric. Am I right, somebody? Oh, they worship their race, which leads to what kind of living? But there are those of my race that worship the black man. Am I right? And will down the white man. That's not of God either. Am I right, somebody? Because it is centered in who, somebody? The black man, which is humanistic. Do you understand this right here? So every culture has their humanistic issues. You understand this right here? Now, one may be more guilty of certain sins than the other, but guess what? Sin is what, somebody? Sin. And when we are converted, as a matter of fact, Spirit of Prophecy says that when um, the latter rain falls, that the color line will be viewed in a different way than it is now. People are not going to be looking at color because in the last days, if you are a Sabbath keeper, whether you're white or black or anything in between, you're going to be persecuted. Am I right? And we're going to have to love one another. It reminds me of a movie back in the day with Sidney Poitier, and he was um, escaping, him and his white prisoner was escaping from jail, and the thing was, they were running together, and they had to run together because they were tied by a um, handcuff together. Do you understand this right here? They wanted the same thing, but what happened was, is this right here, the same goal forced them to unite, and brothers and sisters, what's getting ready to go down? You know what's getting ready to happen this year with the Supreme Court. You know what's getting ready to happen this year with the Pope. Brothers and sisters, a lot can take place between now and that time. So therefore, it is high time for us to awake out of sleep and be ready for what is soon to come. What we need to understand in order to prevent any compromise in our individual lives, because let me tell you this, the church is made up of individuals. Can you agree with that? 
MRI. And collectively, we, be, we form a body of believers. Now, what happens is this right here. Everybody isn't making the right choices. We understand that, right? Everybody's not making all the same right choices. We all understand that. We're told not one in 20 is prepared to close their life history. Am I right? So we understand that the overwhelming majority is not on the right side of truth. Am I right, somebody? It's only going to be, as Ellen White said, that small company. What kind of company, somebody? That small company is going to stand and be faithful. So therefore, what we have to do is this right here. We got to pray for those, as the Bible says. We got to sigh and cry. Am I right, somebody? And we're told in Testimonies, Volume 5, page 209, that unless we sign cry for others, we won't receive the seal. Do you understand this right here? So what happens is not only should we, should we pray for others, but we should pray for who, somebody? And to make sure that we understand that divine rut, which comes with the word of the prophet, and human fundamental convictions, which come through Egypt, a.k.a. the world, will always be in what, somebody? Collision. No matter how nice you are, no matter how loving you are, the fact that you stand for truth and righteousness is going to put you in collision with those who are not following God. Do you understand this right here? So what happens is this right here. There's going to be a difference. And Jesus says, you sh and Jesus says that all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall what, somebody? Suffer what? You know why? Because it's going to be a collision. Am I right, somebody? So when we don't compromise in our life, when we separate ourselves from worldly things and worldly people, unless we desire to do, except for them doing them good by winning them to Jesus, brothers and sisters, when you do that, when you separate, guess what? There will be no collision. Am I right? But when there's a collision, there will be casualties. Am I right? There will be a loss of friends, a loss of favor. And even in the ministry, it could be a loss of promotion in certain places. But guess what? We all work for God. Amen. Now, notice this right here. Ellen White says sins exist. This is Spiritual Gifts, Volume 2, page 283, 284. One of my favorite quotations. She says sins exist in the where? That God what? Didn't you know that God hates sin? Hmm? But she says, quote, but they are scarcely what, somebody? For fear making what? And let me tell you, I work for Gulf States Conference. I work at Oakwood University in the religion department. And let me tell you this right here. I mean, I don't have any fear, but let me tell you this right here. For there's some people who can be bought or sold. Do you understand this right here? Based on a paycheck. And they don't want to get a phone call from somewhere else. Do you understand this right here? Saying, we heard this and we heard that. Can you please tone down your message? But what happens is that there are people who will not talk about certain things because they're fearful of making what? They're fearful of not being invited to ASI next year. Are you with me? They're fearful not being able to speak. I'm just being real with you. Am I right? So what happens is we can't sell God out for this kind of stuff. Do you understand this right here? Notice this right here. Opposition has arisen in the church to the plain what? Some will not what? Bear. You know why? Because it comes in collision with their wants and desires and who they think they really are. But notice this right here. And if they and they wish and people don't really want to admit it, but they wish that smooth things spoken unto them they rather you just talk about love 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 without telling you what true love really is see the bible says in second john verse six for this is love that we walk after his commandments so true love based in christ will lead to obedience to everything he says and 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 as the prophet the lord says that in the life of a true christian there will be no non-essentials am i right somebody Am I right? And any woman in here who's been married before, you know the little things count with your husband. Am I right, somebody? It says, quote, and if the wrongs of individuals are touched, they complain of what? Severity. Oh, he's just too harsh. And sympathize with those in the wrong. As Ahab inquired of Elijah, art thou he that troubleth Israel? They are ready to look with what? suspicion and doubt upon those who bear the plain testimony. Let me tell you this right here. As long as this is there a devil, as long as there's compromise, it's going to be an uphill battle preaching present truth. When you're saying this right here, preaching the things that people need to hear, people are going to talk about you. People are just going to straight up tell flat out lies against you. You understand this right here in order to discredit your testimony. But remember, greater is he that's in who? Who you than he is in the what? world and let me tell you people may try to hide the truth they may try to suppress it but the bible says there's nothing covered that won't be revealed am i right somebody am i right they can try to cover this thing put sanctions and stuff like that but guess what it's going to come out anyway and thank god for the internet thank god for facebook you can't stop a person from preaching on the internet am i right somebody amen 
Amen. Because you know, internet now is a new TV now, right? You know, my iPad, it's the television. Am I right? Am I right? Remember back in the day when you had to turn the channel? No, no, no remote control now. Ain't talking about late 80s, 90s. You're talking about you have to get up and turn it. Am I right? You, do you have to turn it now? Oh, no. You can just touch it. <laughs> Am I right, somebody? In, in some places, you can speak to it and they'll turn. But notice this right here. And like Ahab, they do what, somebody? The wrong, which made it necessary for reproof and rebuke. So it's like going to a doctor. Doctor said you got cancer. And you blame the doctor for telling you you got cancer. Have mercy. That's, you would think that was crazy, right? Look, thank you for telling me that I got cancer. Now, just at least tell me what I can do to get healed. Am I right, somebody, right? Notice this right here. And it says, when the church departs from God, they despise the plain testimony and complain of severity and harshness. It is a sad evidence of the lukewarm state of the what? Church. And the Bible's prophesied that the condition of the church will be in a lukewarm state. Did Jesus say that? In Revelation chapter 3, in the message to the Laodicean church. So the leaping compromise that's going on within the church right now is, as a, is a direct result of the lukewarm condition. But I want to let you know, the church is not without hope. Amen? Notice this right here. Just as long as God has a what? Be encouraged. He will have those who will cry aloud and do what? They're going to be some people and they're not going to be controlled by what a man can do to them or what they think a man can do to them. Amen. They're going to preach the truth. God will always have somebody. And it says who will be his instruments to reprove selfishness and sins and who will not shun to declare the whole counsel of God, whether men will hear or forbear. Then I saw, she says, that individuals will do what somebody rise up against the plain testimonies. Why? Because it does not suit their what kind of feelings? natural feelings. I don't care if it's on dress. I don't care if it's on health. I don't care. It may be about you not being a gossiper. Are you with me, right? People want to hear stuff that will make them feel good, but let me tell you this right here. My job as a spiritual physician is to tell it to you like it is so you can seek healing from the great physician. What do you say out there? And notice this right here. It says, quote, they will choose to have smooth things spoken unto them and have peace cried in their ears. I view the church in a more what kind of condition? Than this ever. That was back when she was living and she died over 100 years ago. So if the church was in a dangerous condition back then. What about today in 2015? It says, quote, experimental religion is known. But by what? You know what experimental religion really is? People really live in this thing called Christianity. It's easy to be a seven day Adventist. You know that, right? Because we're the most intellectually. Um, correct people when it comes to the, the truth of God. Are you with me? Because we have an intellectual knowledge of truth. Are you understand that a lot of them have intellectual knowledge. Am I right? You can go to folk that you would think are not in harmony with the truth. They know stuff. Yeah, I know all that. But is that truth in the heart? Do you understand this right here? Do you understand this right here? So we got to take our religion from the head to the what, somebody? And the question is, who has your heart? Does Christ have your heart or does somebody else have your heart? Notice this right here. The shaking must soon take place to do what to the church? So what's going to be the solution to all this leaping compromise? How do you know? Because God told us through his prophet. Am I right, somebody? But how's the shaking going to come? Through the straight testimony. Am I right, somebody? So that means that the straight testimony has to come back into the church. Am I right, somebody, right? In order to call people to make a decision. And we are really at decision time. Am I right? Now watch this right here. It says preachers should have no scruples to preach the truth as it is found in God's word. Then she says, let the preacher cut. Is that what the prophet said? No, I don't do. I'm not supposed to do any cutting. I'm supposed to let the truth cut. Do you understand this right here? Didn't the prophet say that the that the shaking will the um the take the testimony will have an effect upon the heart of the receiver and causing the pour forth the straight truth and exalt the standard? Watch this right here. It says, "Let the truth cut." I have been what? That means who showed it to her? God showed it to her. Why ministers have not more success? Uh oh, I thought success was in numbers. I thought success was in how many people looking at you at church on Sabbath. I thought success is how much money comes in the offering plate. Is that what success really is? No. Now, it'd be good to have a lot of converted people. Am I right, somebody, right? It'd be good to have a lot of money to support medical missions, Brother Brown. Am I right? But what happens is the real success, the real reason why 
that ministers do not have success according to God is that they are afraid of hurting what? They are fearful of not being courteous and they lower the what of truth. Why? Because we want people to like us. Am I right? That's the thing of human nature. Nobody wants to be hated. I mean, there's some people out there that look, I don't care what y'all about. Y'all can hate my guts all you want. You got very, that's a dime a dozen. But they're fearful of being, not being courteous and they lower the standard of truth and conceal, if what? The peculiarity of our faith and try to baptize folk into a lie. Am I right, somebody? Am I right? You don't tell them what, what God says about adornment and dress. You don't tell people you leave certain unchristian practices alone. Yes, we got to tell them about the love of God and salvation by grace through faith. But you must understand that salvation is a garment. Am I right, somebody? It's a robe of what, somebody? Righteousness. And Ellen White says in Desire of Ages, page 555, 556, that the righteousness of Christ is not a cloak to cover unconfessed sin. It is a principle of life that controls your character and your conduct. So when we tell folk to receive God's love, we must understand that love has a controlling aspect to it. Do you understand this right here? Like a friend of mine said one time, people love the Savior, but they hate the Lord. Let me say it one more time. People love the Savior that was saved from sin, but they hate the Lord that tells them, look here, what you're doing is not right. People want to serve a half Jesus. It's like if you ate a waffle or a pancake baked on one side or a veggie burger baked on one side. Am I right, somebody? It wouldn't have no taste. Am I right? So what happens is you're going to accept Jesus. You got to accept all of Jesus. Am I right? Notice this right here. It says, I saw that God cannot make such what? Successful. The truth must be made pointed and the necessity of a decision urged. And as false shepherds are crying peace and are preaching smooth things, the servants of God must cry loud and do what, somebody? And leave the results with God. Because let me tell you this right here. God, and this is in, in, in an evangelism, God will be pleased with six converted people. Ellen White says in evangelism, God will be pleased with six converted people. Then have 60 people who are not converted. Dean Sanders right here. Because you baptize all these numbers of people that are not converted to the truth. Guess what's going to happen in a few months? They're going to go right back out. So when we lift up the standard, and you know what's interesting? The, the, the military service never lowers, the lowers their standards. Am I right, somebody? Let me say it one more time. The military service never lowers their standards. Am I right, somebody? It keep it high. And you know when you join the Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines, or whatever in between, you give up the rights to your life for at least four years. Am I right, somebody? And people will go through privation, through boot camp, get their hair cut. Am I right? Have somebody yell at their face. They got to go to bed early, get up early. But guess what? We serve the greatest general the world has ever seen. His name is Jesus. Oh, but we don't want to give up anything for him. Oh, because he died on the cross and he just loved me. And that, so it's, it's my thing. I can do what I want to do. Oh, no. We are soldiers, as a songwriter says, in the army. We got to fight. We got to die. We got to hold up the bloodstained what? And we got to hold it up until we die. Those who engage in the solemn work of bearing the third angel's message must move out decidedly and in the spirit and power of God and fearlessly preach to what somebody and let it what cut. Because let me tell you this. When you got good members that are converted to this truth, they make good members. Am I right, somebody? They won't give you no problems. It says they should elevate the standard of what and urge the people to what? Here's the standard. Come up to it. It has been lowered down, she says, to meet the people in their condition of darkness and sin. Am I right? Has that happened? And then what happens is the tears and the compromise has accelerated into the, accelerated into the church. Am I right? And then they tell you to leave them alone. Am I right, somebody? Am I right? And then it'd be one thing if you teach them everything when they come in. But guess what? That's just it. They're just a number. Not a person that Jesus died to save. But Jesus said, go into all the world and teach how many nations? Another version says, make disciples of all nations. That means people need to be taught thoroughly. Am I right? You coming into seven-day Adventism, they have a right. It is unfair to people not to teach them what we really believe. Am I right, somebody? Because of all their stuff on the Internet against seven-day Adventism, against Ellen White, you better teach them. You better tell them everything. Am I right? So they don't get surprised and sidetracked. Oh, I saw this on the Internet. Oh, I'm not going to join your church no more. Oh, no, you show them from the Bible. Amen. Yeah. 
And then when they see this stuff, oh, I already heard. I already know that's not right. Notice this right here. It is the pointed testimony. The what kind of testimony? It's the only thing that will bring up the people to decide. See, when you play with people, they're not going to make a decision. When you tell them, look, this is a spade is a spade. Here's the line you draw, come across. Brothers and sisters, they will decide. Let me tell you a story. I was doing some evangelism some years ago in the Chicago area. And there was a lady who know, knew the truth. She knew she needed to get baptized into the truth. And she was budging with my Bible worker friend. So she said, can you come and help me? So I came inside the house. And I told her, and I did a thing called the timeline. I drew a long line across the paper. And I said, this is the day that you were born. And on this day, this happened. This day, this happened. This day, you got married. You had children. And now, here we come. And I put a little dot here. And I said, now it's the time to decide. And I put S for Sabbath, meaning you make your decision for the truth. And I said, my sister, God has come to, God has come to us. Come to you. God has brought us to you, excuse me, to give you the truth. And I, draw two, I drew two lines. How many lines did I draw? I draw one going up, one going down. I put H for heaven and H for hell. I said, your decision right now would determine which way you go. And I walked out the house. I didn't see any, I didn't know anything was going to happen. Ten minutes later, my friend said, she's getting baptized. <laughs> I said, what happened? The lady said, because of what he wrote right here. And what would have happened? I said, it's okay, sister, we understand. She would have never took her stand. Am I right? So what happens is we got to do the same thing with these people. Am I right? In the church and out of the church. And when people understand their position, they'll respect you better. Am I right? But when you compromise, they're not going to respect you. It says the people, a peaceful testimony will not what? The people have the privilege of listening to this kind of teaching from the pulpits of the day. So we got to bring people into something different. Am I right? Am I right? People are looking for something different. They look, even those who are packing these big old megachurches, they're looking for something different. And we have the answer, health-wise as well as everything else-wise. Notice this right here. It says, but God has servants to whom he has entrusted a fearful, solemn message to bring out and fit a people up for the coming of what? There's a great, there is a great difference in our faith and that of nominal professors as the heavens are higher than the earth. Is that some powerful testimony? See, that's the reason why the devil wants, don't want us to read the spirit of prophecy no more. Thank God it is free now. Amen. Thank God you can get all the writings of the spirit of prophecy free now. Back in the day, remember back in the day, only a few had all her writings. And I'm like, how did you get it? Well, I can't give my sources, right? And, that, and then the wires, they put it out for $20, then $20. Now it's free on the Internet now. All the writings of the spirit of prophecy. But guess what? Folks still not reading it. You know why? Because there's a lot of other diversions other than that. Watch this right here. All right. Leaping compromise. Once upon a time, there was a man named Joe what? Who died 20-something years ago. And before he died, he wrote a book called Creeping What? which talked about the shocking story of Satan's attack on the standards of the church. When I first became a seven-day Adventist, I used to listen to this man's show religiously. Are you with me? The 15-minute Amazing Facts program, I'd be in tears listening to Elder Cruz. And the things I teach today are still as a result of what I learned from the Amazing Facts broadcast and from the Bible studies. Amen? Amen. So nobody can't tell me you shouldn't use Amazing Facts like some are trying to tell people right now. But watch this right here. So... He wrote a book called Leaping Compromise. He has been dead for approximately 21 years. And let me tell you this, if he was to come up from the grave today, what would he call it? Would he call it Creeping Compromise? Oh, no, it ain't creeping no more. It is leaping all over the church. I mean, it's at a point now, and you know I'm telling you the truth. And let me tell you this right here. I, I pastor a conference church, so I'm not knocking no conference. But let me tell you this, it's at a point now that, Unless you can find a church that's really trying to uphold what we believe, and if you've really been reading this stuff in the Bible, Spirit of Prophecy, knowing how God wants a church to be, going to church sometimes, it's like an 11 o'clock game time decision. And some you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, where am I going to go? 11 o'clock, where am I going to go? Am I right? And where can I go? And a lot of folk, their church is at home now, 3 a.m. Am I right, somebody? Apocalypse Channel, am I right? Thank God for the Internet now, Amen. And you can now you can donate online. But what happens is don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Amen. And some folk got to drive a long way to get to a church. Am I right, somebody? 
I know a friend of mine and her daughter for three years straight, they drove three and a half hours, one away every Sabbath to get some present truth. But they went, they did it every week, religiously. Am I right? That's some dedication. And some of us can't, people in Huntsville talk about state line too far. We only 20 miles from Huntsville. They say it's too far, Brother, Brother Brown. Have mercy. They so spoiled, but that's okay. That's, that's all right. That's okay. That's all right. But watch this right here. Man, when he died, I was in the seminary. I was in, I was in my first year of graduate school at seminary. And I remember for the pulpit, I think it was the dean or somebody at the seminary said that we got some bad news that Joe Cruz has passed away. And I held my head down because I knew what the prophet said in Testimonies, Volume 5, page 77, that the devil is waiting for the departure, she says, of a few more standard bearers so that the false prophets can take their place and cry peace, peace when the Lord has not spoken peace. Now, this is the first time I'm going to say this. I know it's being taped and recorded. When I became a heavens, all those texts about false prophets, I was told that those are my first day preachers. Am I, am I right? Am I told? When we read when God said false prophets and false prophets shall arise, guess what? I thought I was talking about only the first day brothers. But after 20, being an Adventist for 25 years and being a minister for 20 years, I come to realize that applies to Sabbath keepers as well, too. Am I right, somebody? Because you got some seven-day Adventist false prophets and seven-day Adventist false teachers. Am I right, somebody? Am I right? So what? That's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She said, quote, testimonies, volume, testimonies to ministers, page 408, that many will stand in our pulpits with the torch of false prophecy in their hands, kindled from the hellish torch of Satan. Just recently, um, a certain person at a certain institution, thank God it was not Oakwood, um, he preached a sermon called Adam and Steve. Justifying homosexuality. I mean, justified it. I mean, and I say justified it, he justified it. To where the seven gay Adventist folk were crying and saying, that's the best sermon I ever heard. What it was, it was affirming them in their gayness. Not telling them to come out from that type of stuff. And what happened was, he said in his sermon that um, it's quite possible that uh, David and Jonathan had more than a friendly kiss. Quite possible. Trying to leave it open that they had a gay relationship. And other things. And I'm like, wow. And guess what happened to his job? If you close your eyes right now, what would you see? Nothing. Have mercy. But let me tell you, God's dealing with that institution. A friend of mine whose wife works there in recruitment, there are parents who, are, who, who was going to send their child to that school are not sending their children there. Amen. Because I'm not sending my kids to some school to get turned up by some homosexual. Are you with me? Am I right? I ain't paying. And Adventist education costs. Am I right? It does pay, but it costs. Am I right, somebody? Yes. And you're going to pay 25 in some places. It's 30 grand. Am I telling you the truth? If I'm paying 30 grand for anything, I better get my money's worth. Am I right, somebody? Amen. Amen. Buy me a $30,000 car. I want you. I want everything. I want GPS. I want all of it. Am I right? Turbo. I want all of it. Am I right? But when you pay for something and don't get what you expected, you want a refund. Am I right, somebody? But when you pay in the Adventist Institute, you ain't getting no refund. Are you with me? After, ten, after a couple of weeks, hey, that's it. But notice this right here. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, verse 28, remove not what? Which thy fathers have what? That which God has established from the Bible and from the visions of the spirit of prophecy. God says, don't remove it. But they've been removed. And because they've been removed, that's why we got the problems we have right now. And let me just kind of give a disclaimer. Um, I'm preaching really zealously. But please let you know, I don't hate this church. Amen. This is God's church. This is it's going through. Amen. It's not Babylon. It is led to see. Am I right, somebody? A church may appear is about to fall, but it will not fall. It will remain while the sinners in Zion will be what? Sifted out. And I got some news for you. Got some good news for you. They're about to be sifted out. Just make sure you're not sifted out. Amen? Amen. So when we talk about leaving compromise, the best way to talk about this, we got to use an analogy. Jesus talked in parables. Am I right? We're going to talk in parables today. For those who are watching, we're going to talk in a parable about somebody called, what was his name? Samson. Now, Samson was called to be a judge. Am I right, somebody? And he was called to deliver the children of Israel from the hand of the what? Philistines. Because if you read the book of Judges, that's the most blood, that's the most bloodiest book in the Bible, probably. Seven different times they went into the world 
then God delivered them. They went back into the world, and God delivered them. Seven times. They kept, every time they cried to the Lord, the Lord was merciful and took them out. So God said, I'm going to send a special kind of judge. I'm going to give him supernatural power to show my might that through one man, I can effect change. And God told Samson's mother that before he was born, that he was uh, not to eat any unclean thing. Am I right, somebody? It was a lesson in health reform. Am I right? And also that a razor, now do what to his hair? Touch his hair. Meaning that, and we're going to talk about this most especially, that he was not to do what to his hair? Cut his hair. Am I right? There are some ladies in this room out of this room, when you were 17 years old, your head was down to the ground. But guess what? You just kept cutting it and cutting it, and because you kept cutting it, it ain't growing back no more. Am I right, somebody, right? And there's some men who've had long hair, and you definitely need to cut that. Am I right, somebody? But the Bible says that Samson was to let that hair grow. He was not to cut his hair. And let me tell you something, the hair was a symbol of his strength. Can we agree with that? And what happened is that the Bible says that he met a young lion, meaning this lion was at its strongest, not an old lion. We can slap it around and it will die. I'm talking about a young lion, and he roared at him. But the Bible says that Samson dealt with that. What the Bible says, and the spirit of the Lord came mildly upon him, and he rent him as he would have rented a kid, and he had nothing in his what, somebody? Hand, meaning that Samson killed this lion with his own bare hands by the power of the Holy Spirit. Am I right? He killed that lion by the power of the Spirit of God, meaning that without the Spirit, the lion would not, would not have um, been killed. Now, isn't the devil walking about as a roaring one? And the only way we can defeat him is through the same power source that Samson had? And as we as seven-day Adventists, because Samson represents God's remnant people in these last days, going out into the world, the only way we can overcome and take over the lion's territory, we need the power of God. Am I right? See, the source of Samson's strength was the holy what? But the symbol of his strength was his what, somebody? Here, you see that on the screen right here? That the symbol of his strength was his hair? Now, notice this right here. What is the source of our strength at seven-day Adventists? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit in early and latter rain power. The Bible says, actually, of the what? Lord, rain in the time of the what rain? And rain is needed for growth. Am I right? We're told in the Bible we have to pray for the rain in the time of the latter rain. And we're told in the testimonies that we're living in the time of the latter rain when God will give largely of his spirit. So, therefore, we can talk about what other people are doing. And one thing I tell my church. God is not going to hold us accountable for what everybody else is doing in the church. He's going to hold us accountable for what we know and we do. Do you understand this right here? And so we got to bring the balance out. So, yes, there may be those living in sin, those compromising, lowering the standards. But the question is, what are you doing today? Are you praying for the anointing of God? Are you praying for the latter rain to baptize you with power from above so you can finish the work? Because let me tell you this right here. A lot of so-called conservative, so-called present true churches have become nothing more than religious country clubs. Members only. And we just study, 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 study. We get fat off the word and don't evangelize. But let me tell you something. Even some have gone so far to say now is not. I've heard people say that now is not the time to evangelize. That is criminal. Are you with me? Can I read you something about that? Can I read you something from the spirit of prophecy about that? See, we talk about leaping compromises, the liberal stuff. You got some compromise even on the conservative end. Have mercy. And when you are not witnessing for Jesus, that's compromise. Am I right, somebody? You're compromising the gospel commission. Oh, oh God's going to bring the people in. Well, he's going to bring them in through your efforts. Am I right? Oh, you missed that. Somebody said amen to that. But watch this right here. I want to read you something. This is powerful. This is um, Testimonies to the Church, Volume 8, page 118. And let me read you the part that a lot of folks say, yeah, yeah, this is good. It is a solemn and terrible truth that many who have now been zealous in proclaiming the third angel's message are now becoming listless and indifferent. The line of demarcation between worldlings and many professed Christians is almost indistinguishable. Many who were once earnest Adventists are conforming to the world, to its practices, its customs, its selfishness. 
instead of leading the world to render obedience to God's law, the church is uniting more closely with the world in transgression. To that, we can agree with that, right? But notice this right here. It says daily the church is being converted to the world. How many professing Christians are slaves of mammon? Their indulgence of appetite, their extravagant expenditure for money, selfish gratification, greatly dishonors God. If, it's, if that was the only story, I can continue on, but I got to bring in some balance. And through lack of the zeal of the, for the promulgation of the third angel's message, many others, while not apparently living in transgression, you hear that? Are is nevertheless barely lending their influence on the side of Satan as those who openly sin against God. You know why? Because they're not witnessing. Because think about it. To withhold truth from somebody is transgression on our part. Am I right, somebody? That's treason against the divine government. And for anybody to try to use the Bible and the spirit of prophecy to say that the time has not come to evangelize, something wrong with them. Amen? Amen. And see, at our church, we, have, we got a seminar next month. Matter of fact, tomorrow, we go around knocking some doors, Pastor Ben. We're going to knock some doors and invite people to come home. Because didn't the golden rule say, as you have others to do unto you, so do ye unto them? Some of you were not seven-day events all your life. And somebody came and brought you the truth. And you're like, thank you, Lord. I wish it had been earlier. Am I right, somebody? Right. So if we have the attitude that we're not to go and tell a non seven day Adventist, a non Christian that they need to come to Christ and the present truth, something wrong with them. Watch this right here. We need the power of God. And this power of God is coming on those who prepare for it. I saw that none could share this refreshing unless they obtain the victory over every what somebody over pride, selfishness, love of the world and over every wrong word and action. So therefore, God's going to prod his spirit on those who have obtained the victory. But how do we obtain the victory? We obtain that victory through faith. Am I right? Thanks be to God, which giveth us, the Bible says, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you can pray for that victory as a gift and claim it, and it's yours right now. Now watch this right here. It says, we should therefore be drawing nearer and nearer to who, somebody? And be earnestly seeking that preparation necessary to enable us to stand in the battle of the day of God. Brothers and sisters, it's going to be the latter rain that gives us the power to go through what's getting ready to come through in a couple of months. Now watch this right here. But the symbol, the what somebody? Of our strength is in our message. Am I right, somebody? Amen. We need to bring those angels back. Am I right? We need to bring it back when we know those are angels, not three lines and stuff like that. That could mean anything. Am I right? Right? We need to bring that thing back. But let me tell you, I don't need a sign to prove anything. It's in my heart. Amen. But watch this right here. But, uh-oh, Samson had some women problems. He had some women issues. And you talk to some men sometimes, and some men will admit that women's is my weakness. But let me tell you this right here. You already know that Samson had a woman problem. Am I right? And her name was who? And he knew she wasn't right because in the original language, the root word of her name meant seductive. Have mercy. He knew she wasn't right. But guess what? The scripture says he fell in love with her. And in Bible prophecy, a woman symbolizes a what? And she was not the true church. Samson was symbolic of God's true people, but he had an ecumenical alliance. Hello. Am I right? He united with the wrong church. Am I right? Huh? Instead of cutting her loose, which he should have did, he was fornicating with her. Am I right? He had to be because... You know what happened, right? She said, what's the secret of your strength? And she lied. He lied three times. And every time he lied, she did the very thing that he said. He should have knew right there. Somebody's out to get me. But you know what? He got cocky. He got arrogant. Am I right, somebody? He got comfortable. And he said that she would never betray me. But let me tell you something. Blood is thicker than water. And yes, he had, his, look, he had, a, he had a raw diet right here. You see that diet? No meat, no flesh, no dairy products. Am I right? He had a pure diet, right? But so, so what happens is this right here. But he was not, he, he may have had the victory over appetite here, but his appetite with the wrong woman, brothers and sisters, it led to his downfall. And I'm here to let you know that if we do not stop having these ecumenical attitudes with, these, um, with the world and with the fallen churches, it's going to be to the downfall of many seven-day events. Are you with me? Amen. God says to come out from among them and be ye what? Separate and touch not the what? unclean thing. Now, God says, come out of her, my who? 
So we got to go to we got to go to the people in Babylon to get them out. Amen. We got to bring them out. Amen. We're not bigots. Am I right, somebody? We're evangelists. We're missionaries for Jesus. When I was in Heartland College, went to Heartland College. Thank God for that that college. Um, in my junior year, me and some others went to this first day church. We went to a Sunday church. That's right. On Sunday. Amen. And in the Sunday church, they have a tradition that when you claim to be a minister or whatever, they'll let you sit. They'll let you sit on the pulpit. Have mercy. And they let you preach. And then we found out they had a Bible study on Thursday nights. So on Thursday night, we went to the Bible study where the associate minister, Sam Walker, was there. And so we went there. We was Adventist infiltrators. Are you with me? That's right. We were infiltrated like the Jesuits. Am I right? We infiltrated this Baptist church. All right. With the Babylon. Went there, sat there. And you know what we did? We didn't challenge him. We helped him out. We said, oh, the Bible says this. The Bible says that. And he was so in, so impressed with our Bible knowledge, he started respecting us. And then one night, I wasn't there. I forgot why I wasn't there. One of my members, one of my um, the theology major friends, told the brother that the Pope was the Antichrist. We believe the Pope's the Antichrist. I said, why'd you tell him that? He said, but hold on, Isaac. The pastor was like, you know what? I thought I was the only one that believed that. He said, I said, how'd you know that the Pope was the Antichrist? He said, from reading the Bible. And do you know it led it? One thing led to another. And then one day we gave him the Sabbath truth. Took a, a whole year. We was going to this man's church. So we didn't, so we gotta be wise as a what? And harmless as a what? And do you know? Gave him the Sabbath truth, came to Heartland, was was in the cafeteria, Sister Graham. And I was sitting down and gave him the Sabbath truth. And when we, when I showed him, not I, but the Lord threw me, showed him Isaiah, the last chapter about keeping the Sabbath in heaven. He said, Isaac, how can I get my church to keep the Sabbath? He got converted to the Sabbath truth. Amen. And he's been keeping the Sabbath ever since left that church. Are you with me? And several others. So what happens is, is this right here now. I don't mind dealing with Delilah now. Are you with me? But I'm going to have a hands-off attitude. Are you with me, right? I ain't going to be all embracing her, if you know what I'm talking about, right? I'm trying to win people to Jesus, okay? And I've done that many times, man. I remember preached the Mark of the Beast in a Sunday church one time. Yes, I did. <laughs> I talked about that. Just like I was in a tent. You hear me? Like a Revelation 7 time, I told him, it's Sunday worship. Amen. Amen. And you know, it's going to take crazy stuff like that to bring people out. Am I right, somebody, right? It's not really crazy. It's bold. But watch this right here. So this ecumenical alliance led to the downfall of Samson. And what happens is this right here. It's one thing to try to win them to the truth. But when you try to be like them, am I right, somebody? Worship like them, theologize like them, talk and act like them in order to bring them. Guess what happens? You'll get your hair cut off and your eyes plucked out like Samson. Are you with me, right? I am praying one day because they, they have a ministerial mini, meeting at Oakwood. I pray that they'll let me preach on this because I'm going to preach on this subject. You know what my sermon's going to be? It's going to be, Samson, don't let the lila cut your hair. That's right. That's right. But notice this right here. He betrayed his secret. Am I right, somebody? He did the very thing that God told him not to do. He did not keep that a secret. He said, girl, it was a bedside confession. Have mercy. And even in street gangs in the world, they'll tell their gang members, don't be telling your girlfriend anything in the bed. Are you with me? But what happened was all he told her, he trusted in her. Thought she wasn't going to do him in. But the scripture says she made him to sleep upon her what? And she called for a man and she caused him to shave off how many locks of his head? Locks of his head. Mercy. And she began to do what, somebody? Now, remember, the woman is symbolic of the what? Delilah is symbolic of the false church. When will Delilah afflict seven-day Adventists? Hello. At the Sunday law. Are you with me, right? And what happened was Satan's hope is, is to get us to cut off the seven locks of our head as a denomination. So when the affliction comes, like Samson's strength went from him, our strength will leave us, and there'll be nobody to stand the devil's way to bring Sunday into the world. But brothers and sisters, I got something to show you. There are seven locks of Adventism that cannot be cut off. Are you with me? You cut them off, you lose power. You cut them off from your teaching, you lose power. You cut them off from your evangelism, you will lose your power. Are you with me? Am I right? Your churches will dwindle down. Am I right, somebody? It's not going to bring people into the church. It's going to call people to leave. You understand this right here? And if they cut off this lock in July, if some of you know what I'm talking about, 
Hmm? It's not one of these locks. Maybe it's the eighth lock or whatever. There are people right now, I was told today, my brother, from my brother over here, there are folk talking about leaving. Have mercy. Because they feel like their religion is being hijacked. But what happens is this right here. I got some news for you to let you know that you may want to reconsider that decision. Watch this right here. There's seven locks of Adventism. The first lock is salvation and righteousness by faith. The most important lock is how a person is saved. Am I right, somebody? And how a person stays in a saving relationship with Jesus through justification and what, somebody? Sanctification through faith. The second lock is like it to the first. When you're saved by grace through faith, you'll be obedient to the law of God. Am I right? The law of God and the what? Sabbath. And the third lock, and I'm not talking about clean and unclean meat. Are you with me? I'm talking about the real message. Am I right? The right arm of the gospel. Am I right, somebody, right? To where the seven day, every seven-day Adventist minister should be and must be a medical missionary. Not only am I a seven-day Adventist pastor, not only am I a seven-day Adventist theologian, I'm a medical missionary evangelist specializing in natural remedies. I may be a doctor, but I'm not that other kind. I'm not a medical doctor. Are you with me, right? But what happens is this right here. We're to tell, Ellen White said that we're to tell the people, ministers, that I'm not a doctor, but I love to do natural remedies, and God will bring people. Now, do I know as much as Brother Brown? Of course not, but I'm learning every single day. Amen? And you know what's so deep about, med so deep about medical missionary work? God will have somebody call you, like my, my, my cousin's husband, which is my cousin my marriage, called me, told me he had an ailment, and I'm like thinking, thinking, activated charcoal. And you know what? It was the very thing that was needed at that time. And when you study medical missionary work, God, and thank God for the internet, amen? You can type up diseases, and God will help you to put all the pieces together, amen? Let me make you think that you're a doctor, amen? But watch this right here. Health reform, and of course, that Jesus Christ did go into the most holy place in 1844, amen? And that there is a literal, and let me just say this to you, that there's a literal two-apartment holy place in most, people don't believe that no more. People, people don't believe that. And when we talk about the sanctuary, we also talk about the investigative what? The judgment was set for what? Investigation, amen. It's all there in the Bible, but yet people, oh, let me, let me, let me, I'm going a little too fast. Watch this right here. Seven-day Adventism really stands and falls based on the sanctuary message. It really does. And the inspiration of the writings of Ellen White. People have tried to show me stuff. that Ellen White was a Freemason and all kinds of crazy stuff. They try to show that her writings contradict the Bible, but it all can be answered. That is not what's going to move me. But if you can prove to me from the Bible, which they cannot do, that our understanding of the sanctuary is incorrect, I'll leave Seventh-day Adventism tomorrow. Are you with me? But we have a more, I know, we have a more sure word of what, somebody? Prophecy. And if you study Daniel, Leviticus, and Hebrews, type meet, must meet what, somebody? Anatype. And when you understand it like that, you know that we have a more sure word of prophecy. The fifth one, which is very important, is the understanding of the state of the what? The dead. The sixth um, lock is, and that's very important. And then the seventh lock, of course, is the true understanding of the second coming of what, somebody? If we cut this out of our teaching, are you with me? In our lifestyle, in our mission, guess what? We have no power to stand against the Philistines no more than Samson did. Am I right, somebody? Now watch this right here. And guess what? He was, Should he be shocked? Well, he was shocked. You know why? Because he thought they would never betray him. And let me tell you this. One pastor said that you could have a snake as a pet, but understand that snake will never love you. Are you with me? Because that snake can turn on you. You need to tell you this right here. We can quote these evangelicals, and we're, and we're to come close to people of other denominations. We're not saying be aloof, but what happens is, is this right here. We need to come close to them with the purpose of bringing them the truth. Now, the majority of them may not accept, but there will, there will be those who will accept. Amen? Notice this right here. Therefore, there's to be how much compromise with those who are worshiping an idol Sabbath. There it is right there. It's this quote, I was told, who told her? That men will employ every policy to make less prominent the difference between the faith of seven-day Adventists and those who observe the first day of the week. Did you hear that? All the compromises we're seeing 
is to make us more like them. Are you with me? Am I right, somebody? To where, in some localities, some ministers are having not Sunday evening services. They're having Sunday morning services. And brothers and sisters, yes, I know Ellen White did have some Sunday morning meetings, and I've had preaching places where we had a Sunday morning meeting and stuff like that. But brothers and sisters, when you're having a Sunday morning meeting, at the same time when all the denominations on a weekly basis, brothers and sisters, let me tell you something, lines could become very blurred. Am I right, somebody? And people will say, well, there's no difference between 10 o'clock in the morning and 7 o'clock at night. It is. It is. It is. Because symbolically, just a symbolic sense. And see, what happens is the Bible says all things are lawful, but all things are not what? Expedient. And what happened was I know one person got a lot of flack worldwide. Are you with me? To where one of the flagship churches not too far from here declined the invitation from this brother to speak because people were going to protest and strike. People seem to tell you, thank God. And tell you, I woke up a lot of seven-day events. Even the nominal ones, even the ones you're like, you, they were like, that's not right. <laughs> even the ones you thought like weren't real seven-day events, they were, even they woke up. Are you with me? And I understand what Sister White says, what to do in the event when some of the laws are passed. And at our church, we did an AY program on that. And we said, what are we going to do when some of the laws are passed? Nobody said, let's have a service in our church on Sunday. We're going to have it in our homes. <laughs> and Sister White did say that. Amen. So about this right here. In this controversy, I got five minutes left. The whole world will be what, somebody? And the time is short, and this is no time to haul down our what? Our colors. You understand this right here? Notice this right here. A company was presented before me under the name of Seven Day Adventists who are advising that the banner or the sign, which makes us a what kind of people, should not be held out so what? It goes back to what we talked about earlier, about people watering down the truth to bring in more people. It's like what one minister said, that people, watch this right here, you got some pastors that have a Walmart mentality, a Walmart marketing strategy. You lower the price to get more customers. You know, and you know Walmart be having some good prices. Am I right? And if you can't get it at Walmart, you can get it at Family Dollar. Am I right, somebody, right? Or Dollar General, where the price is lowered. So people can buy more. And let me tell you this right here. When you lower the standard of truth to bring in more people into the church, guess what, brothers and sisters? You decrease the value of the message. Watch this right here. It says, they said it should not be held out so strikingly, for they claim that it was not the best what? And securing what? To our institutions. And working, being involved in institutions all my adult life as a seven-day event, a self-supporting and conference. Let me tell you this right here. Success whether we like it or not, it's looked upon two ways. Numbers, when it comes to people, how many people attend and come, and cash. Am I right, somebody? Am I right? If, they, if I was the $6 million man, are you with me? Where I had thousands of members, and guess what? And I brought in $6 million in tithe a year. People would leave me alone, right? They wouldn't care what I preach. Am I right? And really, preaching presence truth, they should, they should. But, but guess, guess what? But if a church has that many members and that much money, and they are lowering the standards, guess what? That's right. But the prophet says this distinctive banner is to be born through where? To the close of what? To the close of probation. And you know when probation closed, that means we got to leave the cities and come to Cahutta Springs, right? I don't know this is the mountains yet, but watch this right here. My cell phone can't work out here. Watch this right here, right? It says, in describing the remnant people of God, John says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. This is the law and the gospel. Do you understand this right here? And we can't compromise who we are in order to bring people in. And you know what happened to Samson, right? Oh, you know what happened. They just didn't just tie him up. They said, we're going to make sure, we're going to humiliate you. The Bible says they did what to his eyes. And they didn't do it um, by anesthesia. And he woke up and he couldn't see. They did it with no anesthesia. And man, I'm going to tell you how they did it when we come back this afternoon. You come back this afternoon, I got four minutes left. You come back this afternoon, we're going to talk about what the eyes 
mean, what the poking out of the eyes mean, and how that applies to seven-day Adventism. But just understand, this is where Satan wants to bring all seven-day Adventists to, where we have no power, no hair, no message, and no vision. And if he can get us like that, guess what? He'll bring in this Sunday law, and the whole world's going to accept it. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you, Protestantism is in darkness, am I right? They are blind. They don't know that the man sitting in St. Peter's Basilica is the Antichrist. Am I right? But there are some within our church that want us to have spiritual glaucoma and spiritual cataracts by altering the great controversy. Are you with me? To where it takes the punchline chapters out. <laughs> some of you know what I'm talking about. Are you with me? And will not even say the Pope's the Antichrist. And if we can't Call him who he is now in a time of peace and prosperity. Are we going to do it at a time when it's going to be illegal to say anything against anybody's religion? And I got three minutes left. And you know why I know that we're here? The very fact that in, that in some places now, if you preach against homosexuality, it's considered a hate crime. They have laws in this country. You, don't, you didn't know about it until now. You say that it's wrong to be a homosexual. Guess what? You could be sued. Do you understand this right here? And then, watch this right here. If this gay marriage thing passed, the EEOC says you cannot discriminate against anybody based on their marital status. Which is fair. But when you say marital status, we think of man and woman, right? When gay, if gay marriage comes to pass, they're not going to alter that. It's going to say marital status, then a gay couple can come to one of our institutions or conferences and demand employment. And if we say no, our 501c status is threatened. Are you with me? And for our institutions, the sacred cow, the accreditation. <laughs> Am I right, somebody? Am I right? If you don't do this, you won't be accredited. They'll do it. Am I right, somebody? If you're not in compliance, you're not getting accredited. Am I right, somebody? Brothers and sisters, it's going to appear like this church is going to fall. It's going to appear. Even to the point where our prophet said that pretty soon that all of our schools are going to be closed. Now, nobody wants to hear that. But it's going to be closed because when no man can buy or sell, you can't buy education or sell one. Am I right? At least at that time. Are you with me? But what happens if before that time, because that we don't conform to the standards of the world, these standards right here. Last thing I'm going to say before we close, President Barack Obama, I talked to a friend of mine last night. They call him in their, their West Indian Jamaica. Now, all those who know about Jamaicans, Jamaicans do not play when it comes to homosexuality. It is a crime. And he came, Obama's now in Jamaica. And my friend is saying that nobody's talking about the real reason why he's down there. I said, why is he really down there? I got one minute left. Because he's going to try to influence the prime minister to, to help influence the whole country to change their stand on homosexuality. And if it could happen in Jamaica, it could happen anywhere. You hear me? But those Jamaicans, I believe they're going to stand for what's right. And there are people who don't even believe in God's word the way we do, who take a firm stand on truths rather than we do, and we got the truth. Are you with me? But guess what? I don't know about you, but it is not my plan that anybody including myself, will be in this condition where you are completely powerless. We need the power of God. Amen? Boy, I wish I could go another hour, but you come back for part two, I got some stuff that's going to shock you. Are you with me? This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.